Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, and whether you call Collective your church home or you are just checking us out, we hope you are encouraged and inspired to take the next step in your journey toward the grace and truth of Jesus. For more information about Collective, you can visit us online at mycollective.church or follow us on social media at mycollectivechurch. Now, let's get into today's message. Happy Easter, everyone. When my staff and I started planning Easter in January, we never imagined this would be how we were getting together today. And I know you feel the same way. Right now, my two girls are not in Easter dresses. Instead, they're in their PJs. There isn't a ham baking in the oven. I'm not gonna have weirdly dyed deviled eggs. But the good news is that even though we can't be together, even though we're at home and we don't know what the next few months will look like, there is still a reason to have hope. And we need hope right now. Jobs are unstable. I have a ton of friends and many of you are in the same boat who lost jobs, who, who have had reduced hours. We also know a bunch of people who are on the front lines trying to love and care for people at risk to themselves. The stock market is crazy. I got a letter the other day from my financial planner who takes care of my retirement and I didn't even read it because I know it's not good news. Kids aren't in school. I don't even need to give you an explanation for that one. And every day we wake up to a new world, a new life, a new fear. So in this time of unknowns, we need some hope. And the good news is that is what Easter is. Easter in a word is hope. And so there's still a reason to have joy. There's still a reason to celebrate today. And so that's what we're going to do. And I'm so thankful for you joining us online today. After Ray and I got married, we planned a honeymoon in Cancun. And in order to get there, we had to fly from Norfolk to Charlotte to Cancun. It was pretty simple. But when we arrived at the Norfolk airport, we learned that our flight was delayed 90 minutes because of a storm. Now, we already had a short layover in Charlotte, but this meant we couldn't grab lunch or Starbucks, but instead we had to go straight to our next flight, which really wasn't that big of a deal. But after boarding the flight in Norfolk, the pilot came over the speaker to let us know that we were going to have a delayed takeoff because of traffic on the runway. I started to do the math in my head, trying to figure out how much time that would leave us when we arrived in Charlotte. 20 minutes. When we landed, it was like a scene from a movie. The flight attendants attendants knew we were on our honeymoon, so they actually asked the people on the front of the plane, the front row, to switch seats with us so when we landed, we could be the first people off the plane. I grabbed Ray's bag and I started to run, knowing that if I could get there, they would wait for Ray. We landed in Terminal A. Our next terminal was D, the complete opposite side of one of the 10 largest and busiest airports in the U.S., So I ran faster than I had ever run before in flip-flops, mind you. I was going on a honeymoon. I was going to the beach. And if you've ever been to the Charlotte airport, you know right in the middle there's a big food court and there's these rocking chairs that you can sit and you can watch the planes take off. Imagine me sprinting through that area yelling, I have a plane to catch. Move. I'm on my honeymoon. Like I said, it was like a scene from a movie. When I got to our gate... We had seven minutes to spare, and I could see the plane still attached to the jetway. But the jetway door was closed. I asked the attendants if we could still board because we were on our honeymoon, and we still had seven minutes to spare. But the gate attendant said no. I pleaded, please, we got here on time. She said, well, we called your name. 
We weren't even in the airport yet. Our plane from Norfolk got delayed. She paused for a few seconds and then she said, well, you shouldn't have been late. And that was the exact moment Ray walked up and before she could even ask a question, she could see the look on my face. So I asked again, can't you do anything to help us? It's too late. Please, you're too late. Ray started to tear up. I started yelling. (laughs) Some of you (laughs) legitimately thought we were gonna get on that flight. Life is not a movie, people. You know that. In fact, it only got worse from there. They didn't have another flight to Cancun, so we had to fly from Charlotte to Philly, and nobody wants to fly to Philly. And then when we landed, our terminal wasn't ready, so we watched our flight from Cancun take off without us. So we spent the first night of our honeymoon in a hotel room in Philadelphia that only had two double beds. But to this day, the words of the gate attendant still ring in my head. It's too late. You're too late. Have you you ever been told that you're too late or that it's too late? Maybe you arrive at the bank drive through at 501 and the teller tells you you're too late. Maybe you try to get tickets to a concert, a fast pass to Disney, tickets to a game, but by the time you get through online, you're told they're sold out. It's too late. Maybe it's a little bit more serious than that. Maybe your marriage has been struggling for years and you finally get up the courage to seek marriage counseling. So you sit down with your spouse and tell them what you're thinking, but they tell you they don't want to work on it anymore. It's too late. Maybe you gossiped about a coworker and word got back to them. So you went to try and repair the relationship by apologizing, but you hurt them so much that they told you that you're too late. Some of you have been told that when it comes to Jesus. Maybe you've hit rock bottom and you're looking for hope. But when you walked into church, you talked to the Christian friend in your life, all they did was shame you for your sin and made you feel like it was too late. I had a friend who struggled with alcoholism to the point where it had destroyed his marriage. He lost the right to see his kids. He couldn't keep a job. He was physically scarred because of his drinking. And one day he finally came to the realization that he needed help. So he went to his devout Christian mother to ask for prayer. And her response was, don't you think it's a little late for that? It's too late. You're too late. Maybe you feel like it's too late for you to be forgiven. Maybe you feel like it's too late for you to turn your life around. Maybe you feel like it's too late for you to follow Jesus. I know for me, when it comes to the sin in my life, when it comes to the ways that I fall short, when it comes to my own brokenness, I always struggle and wonder if I'm too late to change too late to grow, too late to say yes to the life that Jesus has for me. Now, Easter is all about celebrating the fact that Jesus conquered death. But I wanna start by reading the last thing that Jesus said and did before he died and resurrected from the dead. Here's what happened leading up to what we're about to read in Luke 23. So Jesus was betrayed by one of the guys in his core group, by one of his 12, a guy named Judas. He was arrested He was tried in the Roman court and found guilty. He was beaten. He was humiliated. And then they made him carry his own cross to the place where his crucifixion would take place. And that's where we pick up the story today in Luke 23. This is how it starts in verse 32. Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. When they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross, and the criminals were also crucified. So there are two things I want to talk about quickly. 
The first is that Jesus wasn't the only person executed that day. There were two other criminals with him. And we don't know a lot about these guys, but historians have discovered that in the Roman Empire, crucifixion was reserved for people that the Roman government deemed worthless. Typically, this was reserved for people who committed murder or treason, but were also part of a lower social class or even slaves. So the assumption is that these men are poor, they were enemies of the Roman Empire, and by societal standards of the time, they're worthless. The second thing I want to point out is that when the Bible talks about crucifixion, we often think of it as an immediate form of execution, but that isn't the case. Crucifixion was intended to be a gruesome spectacle, the most painful and humiliating death imaginable. And it took hours, and in some cases, two to three days for people to die. And to make it even more awful, it was typical for the Romans to watch as if they were spectators at a sporting event. So that is what Jesus and these two men are going through. It is physically, emotionally, and mentally devastating. And this is what happens next. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Even the middle of the most excruciating and humiliating death known to man, Jesus is fighting for their forgiveness. And if that doesn't show you the character of Jesus, I don't really know what will. So here's the first thing I want you to take away today. You should write this down or you can screenshot it or you can get it tattooed on yourself when tattoo parlors open back up because this will change your life. It doesn't matter how far you've walked away from God. It doesn't matter what you have said or done. It doesn't matter if you are standing on the ground yelling, crucify him. Jesus's desire isn't revenge, it's forgiveness. Jesus's desire isn't revenge, it's forgiveness. His number one desire is that we have a relationship with God and that we experience life to the fullest that can only be found in him. And it doesn't matter who you are or what you're doing or what you have done. Jesus wants you to experience the amazing grace of God. And too often we think of God as a vengeful God, as spiteful, as angry, as this all-powerful deity who exists to punish but even in the middle of his crucifixion, he is asking God to extend grace to the very people who are killing him. And I don't know how else to say this, so I'm just going to say it again and let us sit on it for a second. Jesus' desire isn't revenge. It's forgiveness. The story continues. The crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he is really God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. So the crowd and the soldiers are questioning whether or not Jesus is the son of God. They're mocking him. They're taunting him. One thing I don't want us to overlook is that this isn't the first time Jesus had been challenged like this. When Jesus was baptized in Matthew 3, it says that the heavens opened up and God said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. And immediately after that, Jesus is led into the wilderness where he's tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. And one of the things Satan says to Jesus is, if you really are the son of God, if you really are the Messiah, 
then you should jump off the temple and let God save you. So the sentiments of the crowd and the Romans are similar to that of the devil. If you are who you say you are, if you are the chosen one, save yourself. But it doesn't even stop there. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. This is coming from the criminal that's on the cross right next to him, right? It isn't just the crowd. It isn't just the Roman soldiers. It's one of the criminals. He says, if you are the son of God, do something about it. Prove it to me. Save yourself. And while you're at it, maybe you can save me as well. And then this happens. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? Even in the midst of his own crucifixion, the other criminal realizes that Jesus is God. And we don't know how he knows this. Maybe he saw Jesus perform a miracle at one point in the past three years while he was doing his ministry. Maybe one of his friends was healed by Jesus. Maybe it was just a feeling that he had. Either way, something happened in this man's life where he realized that Jesus was who he said he was. And he continued, We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Here's what this man is saying. I know I have messed up and deserve judgment. I know that I've sinned. I've walked out of alignment with God and there's punishment for that. But if it's not too late, Jesus, I believe you are the rescuer sent to save humanity. So if I still have time, Jesus, if I'm not too broken, Jesus, if you still love me, please forgive me. Give me hope. Now, how real does that feel? If we're being honest with ourselves, we know that we've messed up. We know that we blatantly ignore what God is asking us to do. We know that we've hurt people. We know that we're broken. We're searching for hope. And we're trying to figure out if we're too late. Maybe that's why you're watching online today. You're searching for answers and you stumbled across this church online. Or maybe for weeks, a friend has been sharing posts about Collective and you couldn't really ignore them anymore. Maybe you were invited to join us online and you were just bored. But you're in a place where you don't know what else to do with life. So you're trying to see if Jesus might be the answer. And you're asking Jesus for hope. And you're asking, is it too late? Am I too late? The story continues. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. The answer is simple. It is not too late. You are not too late. It was now about noon, and the darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun had stopped shining. And the curtains of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. So the last thing that Jesus did before dying and resurrecting from the dead was to offer grace to a criminal who was hanging on a cross right next to him. The last conversation Jesus had was not with a ruler, It was not with a powerful and wealthy person. It was not with a righteous man. It was with an outcast, a criminal, a sinner. It was with a man who asked if it was too late for him. And Jesus said, no. So here's the second takeaway. 
it is never too late to receive the grace of God. As long as your heart is still beating, it is not too late. The gate does not close. The plane does not take off. Jesus isn't waiting for you to show up to tell you that you're too late and there's nothing that he can do. And listen, I don't know what you've gone through. I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know what sin you have in your life. I don't know what brokenness you have in your life. I don't know what pain you have in your life. But I do know that Jesus wants you to have a life that's so much better than the one that you're living right now. And he promises hope. And the reason, the reason why we trust this promise is because he also promised that he would die and overcome the grave. And then he did. Three days after Jesus is crucified and buried, a group of women, including his mother and a woman named Mary Magdalene, head to the tomb to anoint Jesus's body with oils and spices, as was custom in Jewish culture. And when they arrived, they see that the stone had been rolled away and the tomb was empty. And as they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who's alive? He isn't here. He has risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the son of man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. This is why we celebrate Easter. This is why we can have hope even when things feel hopeless, because Jesus made promises to us that he backed up when he conquered death. Jesus promised us that we could have new life. He promised us grace, that there's nothing we can do to make God love us more, and there's nothing we can do to make God love us less. He promised us love. He promised us that he wouldn't abandon us. He promised freedom. He promised endless second chances. He promised that it's not too late for broken, outcast, sinful people like us to experience eternity with God. But here's the thing. You have to say yes to what Jesus is offering. Jesus isn't out for revenge. He wants you to experience grace, but it's on you to have the humility to call out to, to God and allow him to save you, to be your rescuer, to be your leader. Mark 16 says, anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. And baptism is just a physical act to represent what's going on in your heart. It's dying to your old self and being raised to a new life in Christ. Baptism doesn't save you. Baptism is an expression of faith that Jesus saves you. So if you want to begin a relationship with Jesus, check the baptism box on the online connection card. Or in fact, there's a number on the bottom of the screen. You can text that number and we will follow up with you this week to talk about what does it mean to start following Jesus and trusting Jesus and allowing him to be the leader in your life. A few weeks ago, before everything really escalated with COVID-19, I sat down with one of our friends who is in the Change Life Recovery Program at the Frederick Rescue Mission uh, named James. And James had been wrestling with the idea of getting baptized. So I went over to chat with him about it. And I just asked him why he wanted to get baptized. And he looked me straight in the eye and told me that in the past few years of his addiction, it had led to him being found DOA multiple times. And by the grace of God, he was brought back to life each time. And then he said something I'll never forget. He said, I know that Jesus has always been with me, 
but I've spent so much of my life choosing death and I'm ready to choose life. And here's the beautiful thing about Jesus. It is not too late for him to do that. It is not too late to choose life. It is not too late to choose freedom. It's not too late to choose forgiveness. It's not too late. You are not too late. Jesus doesn't want revenge. He wants for us to experience forgiveness. And that gives me hope. And I hope that gives you hope as well. So you may feel low right now. You might be hurting. You might be desperate. You might feel alone. You might feel hopeless. You might feel ashamed. You might feel broken. What do you do? I believe that you're with us today, not by accident, but because God cares for you. And maybe you've been waiting on God for a long time. But what about this? Maybe God is just waiting for you to humbly reach out and ask, if it's not too late, will you forgive me? Will you give me life? Will you give me hope? I want to end with this. Uh, This is written by a guy named Paul who went from persecuting and killing Christians to receiving the grace of God, getting baptized, and then spending the rest of his life planting churches. He wrote this about Easter in Hebrews 12. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Please know this. The joy awaiting Jesus wasn't death. It wasn't bearing the weight of our sin. The joy awaiting Jesus was lost and broken people being reconciled back to God. It was you. You are his joy. He doesn't want to punish you. He doesn't want revenge. He loves you. He endured the cross. He disregarded the shame of sin that he would take on. And three days later, his hope was made complete when he resurrected from the dead so you could have a relationship with God, so that you could call on his name and be saved, forgiven, made new, so that we could have hope. It's not too late. Let's pray. God, um, even though the circumstances we're in right now are, are not really what we wished for, um, God, they're certainly not what we hoped for. We're thankful that Easter doesn't stop. God, that being stuck in our homes and doing church online and um, our jobs being up in the air and our life being turned upside down, it doesn't stop the truth that you lived a perfect life, that you died on a cross to take on the weight of our sins were buried and three days later resurrected from the dead so that we could have hope. God, we pray for that hope right now. God, we need it. We long for it. God, we need to feel it. So help us feel and and live in that hope every single day, knowing that even though this world is hard, God, even though there are troubles in this world, you've overcome it so that we can have hope in our relationships in our friendships, in our life. But ultimately, we can have hope in the grace that you extend to us. God, we're thankful that you love us. God, we don't understand um, why you would extend grace to even a criminal on a cross who had moments left in his life. But God, we're thankful that we know this truth, that it's not too late for us, God, because you love us. God, we thank you for Easter. Thank you for the resurrection. We're we're thankful for everything that you did 
for us so that we could experience life and hope and peace and love and grace so much better than what this world can offer us. God, we thank you and we love you and pray these things in your name.